Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast for two guys in their 20s, giving their perspective on the games that we love, deadlines of pop culture, and the meaning about it all. I'm Rose Winter Burns, along with my kind of Barcelona Morris. It's not going to be the, the two guys in their 20s for long, but I'm just going to be Happy later birthday, bro. Yeah, so appreciated, man. <laughs> that took me off guard. Good one, Willis. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I gotta do, man. That's what I gotta do to keep the podcast fresh. <laughs> um, but before this episode, we have a lot of topics to get into um, uh, for tonight. Some, obviously, some playoff topics, some album reviews, and then the second half we're gonna do a, a re- review of Cash Me If You Can. But to start off with just thoughts on Golden State. I'm um, advancing past Memphis and back in the Western Conference Finals. Um, last night, the Warriors were able to win at home, one ten to ninety five, and. Clay Thompson had, had a huge game, knocking down eight three-pointers and scoring 30 points. Steph also had 29 with six threes, and Golden State you know, also became the first team to grab 70 rebounds in a playoff game since San Antonio had 75 in 1983. Mm-hmm. Um, but to you, j- just like, what are your thoughts on how Golden State was able to close out this series and also you know, how the Grizzlies were able to, to manage to keep this like very competitive even without Ja? You know, it's an inevitable until, you know, Clay Thompson and, and Steph Curry gets back to the groove gets back yeah. into what they're doing, you know? And I love how they figure it out. You know, they live by the three, they die by the three, and they do, you know, they do things in between to make sure they don't have to live and die by the three. But we all know they're a three-point team. But when you have yeah. second chance rebounds, I think Looney had 22 rebounds. Mm. That's the difference. You don't give, we talked about this um, a couple games ago, a couple uh, podcasts ago. You don't give... Yeah. The Warriors second chance, second chance opportunities. opportunities. <laughs> you gave them. <laughs> he got twenty two rebounds. Offensive defense yeah. took a bomb. So you don't give them second chance opportunities, and eventually they're going to get hot. And it's it's yeah. the inevitable. It's a matter of time. It's, a, it's the matter of time until those guys figure it out. And then when you give them second chance rebounds, and they and they already have great team chemistry, somebody's going to get hot, and it's just going to be a it's going to be a chain reaction. The next person is going to get hot, and. We we all see Clay Thompson was hot first, and his stuff just came out of nowhere and started getting hot too. So Splash Brothers is the inevitable second chance. But I do love the way the Memphis Grizzly battled it out. It mm-hmm. went down to the yeah. wire. They're they a young team. Away. They won't go away. They're a young team. They're going to be back. They're a young team. Um, but you can see the difference between the veterans and then who they really depend on. Yeah, they can win games without Jabo. If Jabo's not fully healthy. And fully capable, it's gonna be it, it's gonna be a hard game for them. But I do think they gonna they're gonna be back. They're gonna add. I think they'll add a veteran presence in the offseason, Hopefully, mm-hmm. not something that's gonna be super expensive. But I do think they add that veteran presence to just give them a ump. You know, because they're gonna need their young team. But without job being hundred percent, we already knew that. You know, what was gonna happen. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, like, the one thing with the Warriors that that might prevent them from going f- farther, like, it, maybe like maybe like their one kryptonite, but it's kind of always been that kryptonite for them is the turnover issue. Like, they were kind of having some significant issues with that in the last two games. Yeah. Like, do you feel as though, like, in, in terms of them going forward, do you, do you see that as, like, the main issue for them? Or is there, like, maybe, like, another another element that they, that they, that they might need to improve before they face the winner of Phoenix, uh, Dallas? Oh, for sure. I mean... <sighs> It, it's it's this is the last couple of seasons like the turnovers has been you know a throwing it aside, but I also think it's the the shooting you know the three point like we saw them in game I think it was game two they couldn't buy a bucket and Ja went for like forty eight points and then yeah. you know game three was it was similar but they you know kind of figure it out and then Ja still you know and Ja hundred percent he's gonna make you pay for it if you don't make the ball make you know make your shot 
So I, I think it's going to be the turnovers settling down because they play fast. They love transition of basketball. They're going to get guys to their spots. But it's all about if they're going to make them. Are they making them? And then it's another thing that bails them out of these situations. It's the second chance um, rebounds. It's the guys crashing the boards and giving them second chance to, to get back into their spots and get a cleaner shot. I think the turnovers is going to come regardless. That's what type of team they are. You know what I mean? So I do think it's going to hurt them in the long run, but I do think they're capable of kind of, you know, dousing that down with the second chance shooting. And eventually, uh, you know, Clay Thompson will come down and start settling things down because he's the guy who can, you know, be the chain reaction guy. So, because, you know, we all see Steph Curry get hot and then nobody else is hot. But then when Clay gets hot, then yeah, Steph, everybody just everybody's everybody's goes crazy. Hot. Everybody gets crazy. <laughs> He's the catalyst. <laughs> and I, it really baffles me. You would think if Steph Curry's hot, boom, boom, boom. But now nah, Clay Thompson's hot. Everybody. Everybody gets involved, man. <laughs> everybody. So, but I do think the turnovers will catch them, will put them in a situation, yeah. but they've been there before. We've seen this one, you know? And that's, the, and that's the thing that makes you confident in, in them is how many times they've been there before. And even Clay yeah. mentioned that, like, he likes the fact they're getting back to the stage again because they, they've been, been here so many times. And, and, and it's a different roster, but I yeah. think it's similar players. Um, when you, you look at guys like Jordan Poole, they still have Looney. You, you know, um, Andrew Wiggins is similar to Harrison Barnes in my eyes. Um, yeah, that's very true. So they have similarities in players, but the same mindset, the same team chemistry, and the same guys, they'll go out there and get it. So, you know, it's not too far off from the 2015 team or the 16 or whatever. You know what I'm saying? It was, it's always similarities. A lot of similarities so, if you look at it. Yeah, I definitely. love the way they draft. I love the way they go get guys in the, you know, you know free agency or trade that trades to make sure everybody is aligned in jail. Because you look at D'Angelo Russell when he was there, was not a good fit. And you can see he wasn't a good fit. They wanted him to be, but he didn't, he didn't jail in the mindset that what what they had built the past, you know, six, that was seven years. Fit. Yeah. That was an odd fit. <laughs> I so, didn't get that. So that's literally the only move I see in the past, like three, four years, yeah. that did not work, work for, them. for them. You know what I mean? Because, you know, they have a guy like Sean Livingston. You know what I mean? Like, it's, they have similar guys as Sean Livingston. Sean, Consistent mid-range guy. Yes, and he'll play good defense. He'll give you good minutes. So that's what you want. They have the formula. Just find guys just like that, you know? So they're back. And now their guys are healthy, and they're getting yeah, back to that key. point. Yeah, so. Definitely. Um, and now getting into, into Boston's impressive Game 6 road win and just Tatum's amazing performance. Um, the Celtics were able to pick up a 13-point win, holding off elimination, mm-hmm. and Tatum had 46 points. This was the third straight victory for a road team in this in this really compelling series. And the Bucks reduced a 14-point deficit to four with under nine minutes left. And, and that's when Tatum, you know, really took over the game, mm-hmm. having 16 of Boston's uh, 26 fourth-quarter points. Um, but just, like, what are your thoughts on, on this overall performance from Tatum and the Celtics and also just how this series, like, you know, Milwaukee, they were able to come back from a massive Game 5 deficit on the road, and now Boston comes right back with another road win, and, and now we're in this, you know, winner-take-all Game 7. You know what, man? What I've been waiting for for Jason Tatum to be more consistent as, we all know he's a great basketball player. He has the potential to be, you know, the face. But yeah. when he takes the best shots, or he makes good decisions, he does stuff like this. Even when he does get great, like, goals for, like, 40, he, he he's just sporadic. 
every shot he made in that third or fourth quarter was strategic. It was confident, and it was a smart shot. It was no four shots. It wasn't outside of the system. It was not. And we they need more of that. The he's yeah. Jason Tatum's the guy. He just doesn't make good decisions. And when he makes good decisions, he's put his team and his his teammates in the right position to win. Because we've yeah. seen him go for 40, 45, or even 30, high 30, and they lose. Or they're in the, you know what I mean? So it, when you put him in a great position, you get, I think he had like 40 something, and you and you, you you have your other guys. J- Brown had 22. Marcus Smart had 21. You put your guys, now they're feeding off you. Yeah. So it's it's beautiful when you make great decisions. That's only thing he's missing, Wellington. That's, that's balanced team basketball. Yes. When, you, when you have those other guys in 20-plus figures as well. Yes. Because you have the squad. Al Horford is that guy. You see how he made him mad. Oh, yeah. He reminded, if you make him mad, he's like, Al Horford's like, okay, okay. Because right. he really gets mad. He gave him mad. Okay. <laughs> like he was in a mafia look. Oh. Yeah, look, it was okay. the mafia look. <laughs> okay. Okay. And they dunked noted. on him. Noted. That's noted. <laughs> and then dunked on him. And then gave him a little elbow for a cherry on top. That's oh, what I love. You have the weapons. Just make better decisions. But I do. I, I love I love the way they're playing basketball. I Man, Marcus. This has been a fantastic series. This has been an amazing series. Marcus bro. Smart like, has goodness. really surprised me, man. 40 minutes, man. 21 5 7. Yo. And this the kicker. Only two fouls. Mm-hmm. Only two fouls for Marcus Smart, bro. That's a rare. I'm loving how he's playing basketball. I am loving. You're really, and we're really seeing his game mature, mature as well. Yes, because there were times where he, where he would kind of like just make irrational fouls, but now he's like, he's really like staying within the system and in the in the team play. And late in his career too. Normally, this is yeah. like you know, beginning mid. Like he's been elite for a while, and now he's fully shaped, sharpening the tools to be all around point guard. I will continue to reiterate that, and to be able to say you only had two thousand forty minutes, and you want you the defensive player of the year. Come on, bro. It's, all this is set up for them to win. I told everyone, and I said this on the podcast, I think, last week. Giannis will give you two to three games. He does not have help. Holiday is in it. If they had Chris Middleton, it would be different. It would be different I because he'll have... Yeah, they'll yeah, put him over. Because he's yeah. a shooter. Everybody's going to gravitate. You gravitate to him. Chris Middleton is not going to miss. He's one of those guys. But you don't have that. And, and we've always said Chris Middleton is underrated. underrated. Chris Middleton is underrated and showing now. Underrated. <laughs> oh my gosh! But now it's it's going to be difficult. Giannis can't do this alone. Can't you you would alone. give Boston the edge. I'm thinking I'm giving the Boston the edge because they can't. Yeah. I knew Giannis is going to you know give them a two three games and he did that. He gave them three. Now the young guns are coming up. You can't stop Tatum when you can't when you can't stop Tatum. Guess what? They got Jalen Brown. When you didn't do that, Marcus Smart is still give you 21. Al Horford. Al Horford. Al Horford to come yeah. back and give you at least 10 or 12 and then give you like 10 rebounds. So it's they have depth. It's the collective. Yeah. It's the collective versus one of the one, one of the best players in the league. Like that's really what the series is boiling down to. Yeah, without Chris Middleton and some other peace peace guys that they had throughout the year, it's difficult to do that and put all that on Giannis. Yeah, definitely. Um, and after interesting to, to Miami closing out Philly on the road and, and just kind of like what, the, what this means going forward for Philly and also just expectations for Miami in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, in Game 6, the Heat pulled off a 9-point win as Jimmy Butler had 32 points. And for Philly, kind of like the main headline was James Harden's lack of aggression when the game mattered most. 
um, you know, s- scoring 11 points in the first half, but had four turn- turn- turnovers, only four baskets. But looking at this series and just how Miami was able to close it out and Jimmy Butler really stepping up, what were your thoughts on their win and also just a dis- another disappointing uh, home loss for Philly in the playoffs? Tobias Harris over me? That's what he said. Tobias Harris yeah, over was, me? That was, that was... No, for real. Like, who said that? I want to know who said that comment. I would never take Tobias Harris over Jimmy oh, no. Butler. Absolutely ever. not. Absolutely not. And, and that's the key. You know, we, Jimmy Butler is the foundation, you know? Jimmy's going to give his all. And you got, you, you got young guys on that team, on that squad, who's nothing but basketball. And you got another a lot of veteran presence on that squad with P.J. Tucker. You know, Bam is, is started becoming that veteran, that veteran presence. But Jimmy's the guy. Jimmy's the glue. We saw that when he gave us all in the bubble. But you know, I I love the way the Heat play basketball. They're fundamentally sound too. They don't make many mistakes. They they play to their guns, and they they're not always going to give you big numbers. That was, you know, the Niners going to score 115 points, 120 points. They they they're mechanical. They're, <laughs> they're not going to be like the extravagant numbers. They're going to do what's necessary. They got 99. They beat them by 9, 99, 90. If, we, if you can't get over 100, we can beat you. But, you know, 76ers, and I think Joel and B, Joel and B said it the best. He was like, I think a lot of people think he's the, the Houston Rockets, James Harden. He's a, he's at the he's no, he's no longer yeah he's no longer that version. He's at the tail of his career. He's at the you know he's at the end. Like you know the transition to be like oh yeah you the old head. <laughs> literally, he's the old head now, bro. <laughs> he literally is now. <laughs> that dribble, dribble, step back, step back is just a dribble, dribble. It looks so slow, bro. It yes. looks so slow now, bro. He looks like Luca now. You know how slow Luca step back is, <laughs> and Luca's young. Yes. <laughs> So, <laughs> I don't know, man. I just, you know, the trust the process has waned. And, and I think they made, you know... What's the next move for them in, in terms of, like, what they need to do, what they need to, do, to possibly do next? Shop around. They're obviously not going to... Yeah. They're not going to uh, keep James Harden in the offseason. I think they went on a women prayer. And I think they realized that as soon as they he got over there, he didn't play. <laughs> he didn't play for those couple of weeks, couple of months, and... And he didn't pan out. Joel and B. I don't think you shop Joel, but at a certain point, like, is Joel is is our guy? Can we can we build something around him? They tried like three years back to back when they shopped everybody around, got rid of everybody. That's when Tobias Harris came over, Jimmy Butler came over. There, okay, that didn't work. Are right, we gonna we gonna bring Seth Curry them over here and a bunch of other guys that didn't work? Okay, why you need a Bradley Bill? Yeah, you need a Bradley Bill. You, they should have <laughs> got need. Bradley Bill. Bradley Bill with a better piece, <laughs> but they didn't get him. They got James yeah. Harden. He shopped other plays or whatever. At the end of the day, there's something in my mind saying I cannot build around Joel Embiid. Yes, he's a great, he's a good, great basketball player, but you cannot build around him. The game has changed where you cannot build around a big guy. Yeah. Those days are over. Yeah. And Giannis is different because Giannis is literally like he's Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, he really is the exception. He's the a rule. dominant player. When you have a yeah. Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid is not a dominant player. There's a few big dominant players in the league. Mm-hmm. And Giannis is number one. Oh, yeah, for sure. LeBron James is number two because he's just a dominant player. But you can't you can't build around Joel Embiid. So I would shop around. I would I will go from scratch. At some point, you've been saying trust the process, what, since like 
09 or not even 09, like 2011, 12. Like, you know, it's been a long time since they said trust the process. So if I'm the general manager, I'm shopping around Joel and B, man. Mm. Wow. You're, you're, you're already going there. <laughs> yeah. I, and and I, I mean, that, that is a fair point because it's just like with how many years you're seeing this, like obviously we, we know like Embiid was a, a top MVP candidate, but we haven't seen the results yet and also the health issues because there are a lot of times Joel Embiid can't stay fully healthy for an entire season. So in, this, in today's NBA, you're not going to want to build around a big, you're going to want to build around a guard or, or maybe like a shooting forward, somebody that you know is going to be probably more durable for an entire season. And, and, and that's the point right there. That if the game is changing, why are we build, trying to build around a big guy? You know, mm-hmm. even when Ben Simmons was there, you know, they had Markel Fultz at one time, but he didn't pan out because of his shot. They've been trying to build around him for eons. Shop yeah. him around, get you a couple of trades in the NBA lottery, get you a couple of other veteran guys, you know what I mean, that will put them up and see what you get from Joel Embiid. He's not the guy. You can continue to, you know, uh, drain your resources trying to bring guys. They brought Danny Green over. They 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 brought um um uh just a bunch of other guys. They brought over. I can't you know think of right now. And then you're you don't have depth at the bench. Mm. They don't have depth. You can't name one player off the bench that's going to give you big numbers. Mm-mm. You 76s don't have it because do they it. spend it because you get James Harden you're going to spend a check again because he's going to want a max contract he, is he worth it? no but somebody's going to give him a max contract then you got to pay um, Tobias Harris again you already paid uh, Joel B. you probably have to play Max in two years so instead of paying all these guys these supporting cast guys make you a team full of supporting cast at, at some point, man, that's, you know, I digress, but I think Joel Embiid is not the guy you build around. You need to shop him around and get you some pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now getting in, into Dallas blowout of, of Phoenix in, in game six and kind of like who has the edge in game seven. Um, this past Thursday night, the Mavericks were able to have just a dominant home win. Um, 113 86 <laughs> had 33 points as the home team has won all six games, done with a margin closer than seven points. Um, but what are your takeaways from just both teams' dominance at home over the series and also, like, who should have the edge going into Game 7 in Phoenix? You know, Dallas Mavericks is that um, that gnat or mosquito you just can't pop in time. <laughs> yeah. And they're just staying around. And I don't understand <laughs> why, what it said, but, you know, but I think that's a testament to what Luka, the Luka effect is, man. And the more and more I'm looking at him as a basketball player, yeah, that man is up next. That man is up next. His ability to get people. And he doesn't, like, go crazy sometimes. But this game, he did. He went 33. 33-11. Eight assists. You know, he had four personal fouls. But, you know, but at a certain point, they need to finish out games. They need to finish out games. Phoenix don't finish sometimes. They get to, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me. They get to the tail, the, the tail of the uh, tail of the end, and they do not finish teams off most times. And they're letting Luke and them stay around. De- DeAndre Atten had the highest points on that in that game for the Phoenix, twenty-one points. Devin Booker should at least have thirty-five, bro. At least, at minimum. <laughs> I don't know. They were. I don't. I. I just, they, uh, 
0 for 4 from the three-point range. Booker was 0 for 4 from the three-point range. And at some point, you got to win on the road. I mean, like, I, 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 obviously, like, they, they're going to have this game seven at home, but you would expect from a championship-caliber team that wants to be that, that type of team, at some point, all the great teams have done it in the past, they had to close out a series on the road. And they did it with New Orleans. But I feel as though with this, especially with this Dallas series, you're going to have to, Golden State, they're getting more rest now. And then and, and now you're going to have to, to set up for another tough, tough series win. You could have gotten a couple, couple more days of rest. And now you're, you're getting, you're, you're going to have a draining game seven and then turn right back, back around to one of the, the top teams in the West and Golden State. Man, they, they got to get it together. They do, yep. and I and I do I agree with you. And then you add twenty two turnovers; they look sloppy. What we've been saying these past couple podcasts about the Phoenix Suns, like they're fundamentally sound. They, you know, they're, they're not showing it now. They don't make big <laughs> mistakes. Yeah, twenty two turnovers; they're definitely not showing it now. And yeah. I think everybody's not afraid of the Phoenix Sun anymore um, at this point because you know they're the team that don't make mistakes. They they have a, a field general and Chris Paul that can, can can take over games at at will. But then Devin Booker, man. I, but at some point, it just can't be Chris Paul. At some point, yes, Devin Booker has to step up as well. Exactly <laughs> what I was like about Chris to say. Devin, where is... I don't... <laughs> Devin, who somebody was comparing him to Kobe a couple seasons ago. Somebody was comparing Devin Booker to Kobe. Please don't ever do that in your life. <laughs> he doesn't have that killer instinct yet. He doesn't have it yet. He doesn't have it. Kobe just was born with it. He didn't have to walk until he was born with it. A lot of people don't have that killer instinct or don't want to walk in that killer instinct. LeBron, for example, I love giving examples. LeBron James was born with that killer instinct, but he doesn't like to walk in the killer instinct because he's a facilitator first. Yeah, facilitator naturally. You know what I mean? So I think, you know, Booker wasn't born with that killer instinct. He has to figure it out. Because if he was born with that killer instinct, it would be consistent. We've we've seen LeBron James close out games all the time. Whether it's a, a, a beautiful pass or he shoots it himself, he got a lot of buzzer beaters. But you look at, you know, Devin Booker, I don't think he's been born with that killer instinct. He has to prove this is the time. I don't want to put you in the same uh, category as Mr. Spider for the Utah Jazz. <laughs> I don't spider. <laughs> yeah, that's what they used to call it. They change names all the time. They used to call um Kevin Durant the uh spider too, the eight legged yeah, spider. I was like, how did he I didn't I didn't get it? <laughs> we just passing it around. Yeah, just passing it is that but they call him the spider, you know. I, but I don't yeah. want to put him in that category because I think he's a, a... <laughs> Oh no, it was Durantula. <laughs> they called him Durantula, bro. It was, point, no, was like, it was <laughs> it was it like it like water. Then they start calling him Durantula. Okay. Yeah, yeah, progressed yeah, through like yeah, multiple forms. <laughs> but yeah, when he was came from Texas, they called him the the uh it, like because he was just lanky and long or whatever. Yeah. But no, nah, I mean, I just want to I think at a certain point, like you said, Devin Booker has to step up and he has to Especially in the game system. seven. Yeah. So let's see what you're capable of. This is, you know I mean, these are opportunities to show you how good you are as a basketball player. Can you step up with big moments? Definitely. Would you give Phoenix the edge in this one in terms of like who, who you think should, should come out? No, Dallas Mavericks will win this game. You got Dallas. I got Dallas okay. winning. Because, right. yeah. I know they're back home, but I think Dallas Mavericks are, has the house streak and they had the momentum going into game seven. That would be a huge upset. Huge. A major upset. Yeah. And especially, especially if Luke has, has, has that kind of defining road 
road win, especially in a game seven, that because that can separate career arcs. Like we saw like LeBron back against the Pistons. I think it was 07 or 08. He had like 45 at Detroit in a game five that kind of like gave them the series. Like like one of the biggest like series leads that they, that they could have in it. Then they closed out in game six. Like I feel as though that would kind of be a similar trajectory where if Luca did that, that would kind of, we already know he, he's the next guy up. That would officially put him on the map. I, I think so too. And I'm, I'm looking for Dinwiddie to have a great, great game seven. I think he's mm-hmm. being more consistent coming off the bench as uh, the sixth guy, you know. But I do think if Luca drops like 40 or even 38 or something mm-hmm. like that, I think this will solidify him. Like, okay, this is Luca. It's a new sheriff in town. He's just oh, yeah. from another country. <laughs> <laughs> Not from our time. <laughs> Hey, what Drake said, he was like, how you made me run it down here? I'm not even from around here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, but, but now uh, getting into just NFL draft observations and takeaways and also kind of like which player and team will benefit the most from this year's draft. Um, you know, looking back at last month's draft, you know, some of the standout teams, you know, were the Giants and the Jets earning top five picks yeah. um, through their, you know, especially throughout their struggles uh, the last years and adding, you know, top 10 picks through trades. Um, even in terms of wide receivers, uh, Drake London can have kind of an instant impact on the Falcons and Garrett Wilson plus uh, Jameson Williams. But what were some of your takeaways from from this draft and some of like the standout teams and players? Mm, I think a lot of teams won, to be honest with you. Mm. And I start with the team that, you know, I know more about. <laughs> At Green Bay, man, I thought you got, you already got, um, you know, you know, cornerback from, from Georgia. And then you bring two other good guys, defensive tackles to, you know, answer the defensive, defensive woes. Um, but I thought they had, had a good draft. The one I looked at the most probably was, um, it wasn't the first round, but I like the, I like the pick what the Browns are doing. They're going back to the defensive side. They've been draft. They've been drafting um, running backs and offensive guys heavy, but I love the pick what they got with Martin Emerson from uh, Mississippi State, and he's a he's a guy from Pensacola, and I got to shout that out. Very lanky, um, very 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 quick on his feet. He has a nice little build. He can recover. Um, his length is, is is his biggest asset. We all know the infamous video of him selling out to the Auburn guy, <laughs> and then the <laughs> next play he getting doused for a, a big touchdown. Um, the next play, but even after that play, he didn't he didn't stop talking. He didn't, he didn't he didn't he didn't back down. I love those type of picks. Um love those type of picks for the Browns because you know they had Denzel, you know, Denzel War who just got the big contract. They're going back to the defensive side and getting those guys and building people around Miles Garrett and Denzel War. So um, ooh, it's a that was a good pick. I I don't want to go in like the normal first round. Cause we already know those guys. I'm I like to go in the second and third round. There's some other guys. I think um Ooh, it's another pick. Um, oh, Cameron Thomas, Cameron Thomas from San Diego State, round three. What a guy, bro! I don't understand how he went to San Diego State. I hope that was him. The guy can bend. the The biggest thing, and I hate to go in the draft profile. The biggest thing with the defense is your bend and how you can control your body. You know, we all know the guy's strong. They have multiple weapons in this arsenal to be able to get to the, you know, get to the uh, quarterback. But his Ben yeah. is one of the best Bens I've seen in the draft. He's strong. He could play any side. 
Um, and I think he has that ability. He can he can bull rush. He can you know say swipe. He has good hands, good speed. I thought that was a good pick for um, the Arizona Cardinals. I think they need more pass rushing guys. And, oh yeah, and you think they need more pass rushing guys? Wellington, stop me when you when I'm you know because I could get into this all day, bro. Nah, man, <laughs> I want you to. I want you to, bro. <laughs> uh, Baltimore. Let me tell you. Yes, but I'm. A, I gotta go to first for their first pick. I remember when I first watched Cal Hamilton in his first. I forgot what game it was. He was a freshman, mm. true freshman. He was everywhere, literally everywhere. And I, he was like a troll polymolo, Ed Reed, very instinctive at that young age, super fast. Like he ran like a 4-3-4-4. Amazing build. He was like, he's like 6-1-6-2. I mean, he can tackle, he can cover, he can, he, he can read situations, he can put himself in the right situation. And he's a dog. He started all, all, all his three years, came out, and to be drafted by a team that loves those type of safeties. I think Baltimore Ravens got their next air read, to be completely honest with you, because Marlon Humphreys is on the decline. Yeah, that's clear. <laughs> that's clear. <laughs> he's on the decline, so they need more guys like that are going to be extensive. I mean, instinctive. Yeah. And I think they got a good one in Kyle Hamilton, man. He's been a dog since he's been a true freshman. And that's hard to – and I'll, I'll say one more and. I don't want to prolong. I already talked about yeah, the Ravens got a gem. The Ravens got a gem in that one. Yes. Yes, they did. Oh, Detroit Lions got the best defensive tackle in the draft. Aiden Hutchinson from Miami. I mean, my Michigan, mm-hmm. excuse me. Michigan, yes. From Michigan. Yeah. He's literally the best defensive tackle, edge rusher, anybody in the draft. That guy is so nasty. And I love the way they could. You could put him at any position. You could put him at the one or three tech. You could put him at edge. You could stand him up. You could you can you can put him in three uh, three point stands. He's quick, fast, strong guy. <clears throat> they haven't had a guy like this in in, in, in since Adamic and Sue, and that was so long ago. Yeah, very long. Since ago. <laughs> they had a guy who could move around, strong, quick, fast, very instinctive, very very yeah. smart. And he can do it all. He has a nice bend, nice, nice lower body. He has a nice neck structure. The guy can, you know, he has the the bill for it. He can get into it. He could bang. He could pass rush. But I do think he has, you know, some pass rushing abilities that needs to be tweaked a little bit. But run stop, I think that's what they need. I didn't think they don't. I don't think they had a good run stopper in two guys. They had two guys back to back. It was Nick Farley, Nick Farley from Auburn, and then they got a Dominican Sue. That's so long ago, bro. Those guys came out <laughs> of at a draft when I was in uh, my freshman year of college. <clears throat> so to, to say that the Detroit Lions haven't had those type of guys since I that's 2012, bro. 12, bro. Oh my goodness, man. bro. That's a long that's, that's time. Been a minute. That's so been a minute. <laughs> I think they got a guy in Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan who can play the one and three, and he's gonna he's gonna be on the outside. You stand him up, you know. I think. They'll, he'll be good in any type of defense they throw at him. So, I mean, yeah, man. It's some, I think a lot of people won in this draft. A lot of teams won. A lot, a lot of people won, won in this draft. draft. Um, I like Houston's pick, too. I think Derek Sting, um, Stingland Jr. was a good pick for sure. Uh, and I do like Keon Green for uh, Houston, Texas, because they needed a guard. They need somebody to protect these quarterbacks, man. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. Um, 
but I, I do a lot of winners. A lot of winners. A lot for this of year. winners. <laughs> a lot of people won. Uh, a yeah. Baltimore Ravens just added a, a a bunch of stuff. Still kind of you know I understood the trade with Hollywood getting Hollywood out there so they get other guys in there. I understand mm-hmm. it, but who they're they're tight and heavy anyways. Hollywood really didn't you know have that big of a career. His you know his first couple years with Baltimore. Yeah. I mean, they're tight and heavy. So I understood the move. It's, it's a more tight and focused team anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, I understood that. I understood the move. But yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, the draft, it's a, um, I think some guys aren't going to pan out. But mm-hmm. I do think, um, for the most part, I think teams kind of, you know, got in there. and, and Had a successful one. Had a successful one. Um, I'm trying to do one more. Oh, uh, Giants. The Giants, Giants, Giants. Evan Neal. I've never oh, been yeah. so... <clears throat> hey, Alabama breeze these guys. Last guy I was so impressed with who was from Pensacola, went to Washington, Le- Alex Leatherwood. Still impressed with him. But Evan Neal literally has no downside. That guy is a monster. He could play any position, guard, tackle. He can even play center. Nice build. Nicest guy. I've seen interviews. Nicest guy. But when he's on that field, to be able to, he has good technique, good hands. He can he can run block. That's his specialty. But he can definitely pass block. I think he's one of those guys. You know, I think they'll probably leave him at left tackle. Um, but I think they, I think they they'll start running the ball more now. They have an anchor at left tackle. We see what these young guys can do. Look at Wirfs for uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He yes. hasn't allowed a sack since he's been in the NFL. So you need a, a left tackle, and Evan Neal That's is central. <laughs> Evan Neal is one of those guys, man. He's yeah, he looked good. He looked good on paper and on film. Like I've probably watched, I probably watched two full games of him, just looking at him, and I was like, he doesn't get tired. He's he's the leader. He's he's not as vocal, you know. He doesn't need to be vocal, especially you know going in the NFL. But I think yeah. it's what translate on the field is the, the biggest point. I think they got a dog. Evan Neal's a dog, man. So, yeah, this draft was good. This draft was really good. This was good. a really good draft overall. Yeah. Very good, very good draft. Um, and not just to, to Canelo's upset loss. Get oh, my gosh. And, I know, man. <laughs> and, and just what it means going forward. Um, and, and, and this in this past loss, you know, Dimitri Bavol was able to win convincingly by unanimous decision and retained his WBA super light heavyweight title. And this is a fight, you know, where we see Canelo move up and weight at 175 pounds. And Bavol's powerful left jab and right hand were just really used to perfection to neutralize Canelo. But um, just, just what are your thoughts on this major upset and just what it means for Canelo going forward? Because he, he hasn't, the last time he lost was in 2013 to Floyd Mayweather. Like he had gone on a, a nine-year streak of just no losses and this was the first major one for him. Man, I tell you what. This is the first time I saw Canelo, well, before, even before he got to this fame, be like, oh, that man's human. But he wasn't smart in this match. He did not throw a jab. Well, listen, he didn't throw a jab. We, we rarely, we never see that from Canelo. Just, just, just not like going to the jab. Yeah, he didn't throw a jab. He didn't have a defense. He looked sloppy, and the guy was <clears throat> he was picking him apart. And I think that's the biggest thing. He didn't throw a jab. That if he threw a jab, that'd have been a totally different fight. And we see him be you know elusive in elude punches. But it starts with your jab. That's your first line of defense. Jab, jab, jab. Jab, jab, jab. And then you can see what he's trying to throw. You know, he didn't do anything. He just looked slight. But I don't know. He just didn't look like Canelo. 
And, and that's and, and it's kind of like it. Obviously, like Canelo is is extremely prepared for all the fights that he's in, but it he wasn't as disciplined as he usually is. He seemed like he was trying to get the fight back all in once. Like, do you feel as though like after this fight, do do, do you think it's possibly one where he'll try to get a rematch uh, with Pavolka? Because they, they they even presented that question to him, and he definitely thinks that he that he'll consider that. But do you feel as though it's one of those things where he needs to to go back and address some things in this in a rematch, or just go on to a different fight? No, he needs to go back and get that get get that back. <laughs> He's got to get this one. <laughs> you got to get that back. That guy is not in the same league as you. To be completely yeah. honest with you, he beats you because you were sloppy. I think you you don't you need to go back. You need to convince people that Kinda you still yeah. Him. No, overlook him. He need to go back and get Bivol or Bivol Bivol whatever his name is. He need to go. Oh no no. The, 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 the main thing to me, it seemed as though like heading into it, like the approach he was having in his oh. body language, it looked like he was overlook. Yeah, it looked like he was overlooking him because okay, after yeah. a fight like that, you, you definitely got to go. You like you you can't overlook somebody who just lost you and and kind of go back and challenge again. Yeah, I and I, yeah, I, that probably was probably the case. You because he not on his level. It's not the because the because he had a third level. fight. He had a third fight with Triple G that he was trying to set up in te- September, and I feel as though obviously like. This this is the one you gotta, yeah. gotta go back and You gotta first. stop that <laughs> before you go anywhere else, come back, beat him convincingly. Yeah. And then you you go in because he was just sloppy. Maybe he wasn't fully focused because I've never seen Canelo not throw a jab. Never. Never, man. Like, just like he was throwing nothing, 12 rounds. And you ain't throw like he, he didn't throw a consistent jab to, you know what I mean? That was the biggest thing. Like I was just looking at it, I was like. Who and am him I watching? being a light heavyweight, and in, and him being a light heavyweight, yeah. like we never like he was going up in weight, and <laughs> that's a tough thing to do. I mean, like there were some boxing experts that were saying they were concerned about that because he was going up to a different weight, and that's a, just a completely different class for him to, to to try to go into. But I I don't think it was like a big diff. That was the only thing. Like him moving up a weight class, I don't think was that big of a drastic change for him. I think it was more so him not sticking to the same, you know. Uh, uh, the same... Same game plan. Yeah, basically. there we go, Wellison. I just, yeah, yeah brain fart. Same <laughs> game plan that you have in every other weight class you've been in. Like, you've always relied on a jab and your defense and counter and counter punches. Jabs, defense, counter, counter punches. That's his whole MO. That's what that's what he, he scores points with. He didn't do any of this this, this match. So it kind of makes me wonder... Yeah, like you said, his mind probably his mind wasn't like, okay, I'm gonna beat him. I don't have to really do much to beat him because he thought he won. That's what I was so <laughs> delusional. I was like, what, what? <laughs> bro, there's no way you won that fight. He put his nose up and I was, I was like, like yeah, yeah, no, you, you took L. Yeah, no, you, took you, you lost. You thought, oh, like, I'm just gonna do the bare minimum. I'm still gonna win. They're nah, gonna give man. me the points. No, nah. bro, you didn't beat him convincingly enough. All the judges saw it. All the judges saw it, man. Now you have to do a rematch. <laughs> you gotta knock him out now. Oh yeah, for sure. You gotta knock him he, out. He he's gotta go back into Canelo mode where he's just like the aggressor and and it's just a clear advantage to him. Yeah. Like you, you can't leave any doubt. Don't even don't even leave it to the judges. You gotta you can't you can't leave any doubt for this one. Because if you go into this this uh third fight with Triple G, you better be on your P's and Q's because he see that, he'll be like, okay. Mm, oh yeah, Tri- yeah. Triple G's gonna be like, all right, I gotta sh- I, <laughs> I got the edge on this one. Um, but 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 now getting into our to our first album album review with Jack Carlos, come home, the kids miss you. Um, in his newest album, you know there are just a lot of commercially sounding tracks, and and some of the beats are more generic than than those of his re- refined subdued two thousand samples. But 
in terms of this album, just kind of like being one where he talks about what it's like to be a rap superstar and, and eventually having kind of a, a melancholy and monotonous feel to it. Um, what were some of your initial thoughts on it? Mm, yeah. It wasn't nothing. I can answer for you. <laughs> yeah, I was I was never like a big Jack Harlow fan, anyways. Like that. Um, what's his the song that put him on the map? Um, what's popping? Yeah. That was a I, that I wasn't that. Yeah, that wasn't even like that big of a. I'm not even hating on God. Like it's just like because he seems like he this is he loves the craft and uh, yeah, yeah, that's cool. You can tell that. Yeah, he's definitely motivated, de- dedicated to the craft, but. I mean, you know, you know, his bars are low key stale. Like his music selection, like I, don't, I don't see the fascination. Maybe it's because he's authentically sound, because he's not trying to put on a persona. Maybe right. people gravitate. I don't know. I just, I just don't gravitate the, towards the, the music. lyrics. Are there's no depth to the lyrics? No, it's, it's generic stuff, man. Generic it's just generic stuff. radio music. Yes, bro. <laughs> The cool Eminem guy, the white boy with Kurt. Dude, that's, that's exactly. Shit, like, <laughs> he's literally Drake. I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to. That's what I was saying. He's trying to be Drake, but it's not interesting. It's not right, it, bro. It, like, like, there's no draw to it. I think there's that's why Drake. Drake was like, Drake is so cool with him. Like, yo, that's me. Like, bro, I, I'm just not fully white, bro. I'm just mixed. You're fully white with the curls. <laughs> like, I can have curls too, bro. Like, <laughs> I don't know, bro. I, I don't want to seem like I'm a hater on the guy. Just his, his music. I mean, his that sound. I don't, I don't get the hype. Don't really vibe with it. Mm-mm. Yeah. And, oh, and, and, and I mean, when there's an artist that is kind of gaining a buzz, but but it's not really connecting for you, it's one of those things where, do, do you feel as though some people are, are just kind of flooding to him because he m- might be like a different type of artist? Or is it one of those things where he's just kind of, he, he's on a new wave and he's he's able to get like A-list features, but it's just not the type of music that, that kind of resonates to really resonates with you or kind of has any real substance to it? You know, people are right for the game. And I think somebody said, oh, Omar Epps, he was in an interview when they was in a barbershop or whatever, not LeBron James thing, but it was in like another little barbershop scene when they talk interviews or whatever. He was like, a lot of people don't be really good. And they're, it'd be better, people better than them, but their drive and their willingness to do things puts them in the positions to be on top. That's a good point. And I think Jack Harlow is one of those because I'll tell you his drive and his dedication is it's 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 evident. You know what I mean? Like he puts like he said, I stopped drinking for a year and a half because I don't want to be in the studio with a scratchy throat. I like that you can tell. Oh yeah, there's that he's there's serious about the game. Like he's been waiting his turn. He's serious about the game. He wants to be in it as long as he can because he understands. People, artists come a dime and it doesn't. And when it's your time to shine, you got to be there for X amount of years. How are you going to be remembered? So um, I think people are ripe and ready for positions or in music that really are not that good, but their willingness to do things or willingness to their drive and dedication to it puts them there in that opportunity. And then he's marketable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. For so sure. So everybody loves Jake Harlow. You know, so put he's marketable. You know what I mean? He's clean cut. Doesn't have a back, you know what I mean? He's friends with the big guys, you know what I mean? So it's just like people yeah. are ripe and ready for positions like that, but music don't translate half of the time. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and now getting into, into Sabrina Claudio's "Based on a Feeling" review. Um, in her latest album, you know, she taps into kind of her inner spirit to venture deep into her soul, extending far beyond her boundaries, and 
really reaches out with her voice and, and, and just kind of presents herself in the most authentic authentic way possible. Um, but it's kind of like, what were some of your thoughts on this album and, and what she was able to deliver in this one? Better. Yes. Better, 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 better. That's what I got from it, for sure. Because <laughs> the last couple of... The last couple of ones... We, we, it, it's kind of been disappointing us. Yes. Because yes, about time for 2017, like that was our standard. That, that was our standard for her. And then I, I love the cover art, first and foremost. So I always yes, got to say that. cover art. Um, but I do, yeah, yeah. I, I love, I love the subtleness of this album and the feel like it, it gave me back in the, you know, saying my, I think when I, when did I start listening to her? Probably like 13 or 14 or something like that. And she had, I, that's when like, it took me back to when I first listened to her. When yeah. I listened, like, this is the Sabrina Claudio I know. <laughs> yeah, off of, what's this, the streaming service we used to listen to all the time that had commercials? Pandora. Pandora. Took me back to the Pandora day. I used to listen to her, her radio on Pandora all the time, like, back in, like, um, my first couple years of college. And uh, this, this really went back to that type of vibes and those feels. And, <clears throat> excuse me, she's always been a vibe. And I think now I think she's just honing more back to the roots. She's of, back to her central course yeah, now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you can tell, <clears throat> excuse me, and the better version, I love better version, Don't Make Me Wait was, was one of my favorites. IOU was nice. I think she had, I think she had some good tracks on here, bro. 11 songs. We always say that concise. Um, I love the 11 songs. Yeah, 11 songs. My favorite man. part, Still Strangers was dope, put on repeat. Yes. There, there was, impersonator, that's the one I, that really, I really like. Oh, I gotta, I gotta listen to that again. That didn't, uh, I don't remember how that goes, to be honest with you. Okay. You can play it. You, you can play it during break. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. <laughs> but yeah, overall, she's back, bro. I, I definitely feel as though it, it almost had that. I remember like when Summer Walker put out her last album and you text like, bro, she's back. It kind of it kind of almost had that feel of like Sabrina Claudia was kind of like, like when, when an artist does that, when they have an album that puts them back to where you used to seeing them, like, do you feel as though it's one of those things where they kind of have to, to, to just redefine what they want to get back to, or is it just, uh, just, just, just a natural progression to, to where they usually are? I think every artist at some point wants to venture off and, you know, because you get different inspirations and you get different things that um, kind of, you know, I don't know. You 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 you're in a different space, and you mm-hmm. you listen to other artists, or like you just in a you know a different space. And you want to try things, want to try a different sound, and then you kind of you know dabble in that and see what your fans think. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes like nah nah nah. Yeah. Go back, go back. Um, I just think of the the eighties. You know how eighties um little. Westcom vlogs when they got the music and they're changing clothes and they shake the hair. No, oh, yeah, it's, it reminds me of that. Sometimes <laughs> on the no, and then you gotta go back to the beginning. You say yeah. So I think, yeah. but at some point, all, all artists have like changed their style of music at some point. If mm. you know, some people are successful, some people are not, obviously. And I think with Sabrina, she tried or she did a different type of sound, but that didn't resonate. And now she's back. To, like you said, to our core sound, I think. But at, you have to grow, you know, even growing your, your core sound or grow to where you want to venture out and try things. And that's okay. I believe oh, yeah. every artist should want to be able to try things. Like I was trying to do pop at one time. That's not my, my lane. <laughs> that's not my lane. <clears throat> I know one of my good, when I want to say a good friend, an artist that I, I work with all the time, 
I ain't gonna say his name. He's doing like uh eating, farting. Like he could rap his butt off. Now he's doing that type of music. And I'm like, bro, that's not it, bro. I don't like none of those videos he put on Instagram. And I want to hit him up like, bro, no, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? You can rap your butt off, bro. Stick to what you know. Don't do this to me. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like, at some point, you're going to want to venture out to do some stuff. Like, then you got to you gotta come to yourself and be like, ah, that's not it. Because I try to do pop. That's what hair down was. It's kind of like hard to be a pop star. It's kind of hard to be a pop star when you're in rap. But yeah, but some, yeah. some people can do it. But I tr- some people can do it though. Some yeah. people can do it. I tried it. I wanted to be a pop, like a pop star. I like it when your hair is down. Like I saw <laughs> the hook first, but yeah, somebody had to else. I send it to somebody else so he can sing it. So um, that's why I was like, yeah, pop ain't me, bro. That's not my style. <laughs> I can't do it. But that's that's an inner thing. Like okay, I can You know, that's not my. I'm a hip hop guy. I can mm. do. What they say, mumble rap, you know, stuff like that. I can do that type of sound too. But, it, you know, versatility is good. But anywho, um, yeah. but nah, I think every artist should. Sabrina's, Sabrina's back. Yeah. I think Sabrina came back and be like, okay, we're going to give them the old fastball. The good old yes. fashioned fastball. <laughs> the good old fashioned. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but, but now getting into LMA's Heart on My Sleeve review. Um, in this album, you know, she kind of navigates the affairs of the heart and through kind of tumultuous experiences and euphoric connections. And, you know, most of the album includes her delving into kind of like the personal parts of her psyche and, and depicting her life in real time. Um, but kind of like, what were some of your thoughts on this album and, 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 and like the main elements that were in it? Mid. Yeah, it was. Mid. It was disappointing. It was, it was mid, disappointing, bro. man. It was mid. <laughs> go, going from Sabrina's album to this one, I was like, yeah. Oh, I want to go back to Sabrina. <laughs> oh, yeah, bro. Ella May, baby girl, beautiful. I, lo- I remember your videos on Facebook before you even got booed up. I used to sing all these, you know, covers. Oh, this is a personal message. This is a personal message. Let me step back. <laughs> stay away from music for a minute. After you drop this album, yeah. stay away from music. Um, yeah, it's clear. Yeah, that wasn't it. I didn't like any of those songs. This was just tough to get through. Like yeah. it's one of those albums. I, I, it's just like you're like, man. How many more? How many more songs do I have? Yeah, <laughs> bro. Like, yeah, this wasn't it, bro. Like, and this, oh, this sounds so. Isn't sound disrespectful? For like. But like all the other R&B artists that's out, almost say female R&B artists, she don't stack up. Nowhere. No. Nowhere. She's not touching her. Definitely not touching her. She ain't touching Summer. She ain't touching Scissor. She ain't touching Sid. She ain't touching. Uh, it's a bunch of other female. Cole. She definitely not touching Kalati. Definitely. Definitely not touching Kalati. <laughs> she not even. Uh. Uh. Yeah, man. I don't want to get more disrespectful. No. <laughs> yeah, Snow Allegra. <laughs> Snow Allegra. Oh, she's so amazing. She she up there so too. So amazing. But yeah, you you gotta you gotta go back into your repertoire. You gotta give a song like "Boot Up." You gotta be relevant again because mm-hmm. that album was not. We I think she's almost mid. Dangerously mid. <laughs> 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 Reese, Reese, we're doing it. Dangerously, <laughs> dangerously mid, bro. That's still one of the best. The freaking slogan definitions of anything oh my in my God. life, bro. Please, thank you very much. Thank mid, you very much. <laughs> but that this was stupid, man. Like it was mid, bro. This was not. She's been away for a while, and you you do it. In her defense, it wasn't a terrible album. I'm not saying, no, not and I don't think we're not saying where it's not wasn't a terrible album. It just wasn't what it we, was disappointing. Yeah, very disappointing. Well, we've heard thus far in the last two years because we know what she's capable of. Yes. 
And we've heard some great female R&B artists' albums. Kalani just dropped like last couple weeks ago, and that bill was fire. Mm-hmm. Her so album still, album. yeah, her album still standing the Back test of mind. time. Summer Walker's album was fire. Sister's gonna drop, and she's gonna shut yeah. down the world. This, she's gonna drop. She's she's shutting down the summer. I'm telling you, she's, she's, she's shutting about to drop, down, shut down the world, summer. bro. And then, oh are we even talking about Kendrick Lamar's album today? Ne- next episode. Oh, next, next episode. Okay, boy. I, yeah. boy. When I tell you, Wellington. Got- we have so much to talk about. We well have so much to talk about, bro. Well, it's here. He is my number one now. Oh, <laughs> I feel you, bro. He, I feel you. He's is Kendrick then Drake. Man, and I'll say this quickly: comparing them to Drake, literally, and has has bars and his melodies are amazing. Oh yeah. But Kendrick's creativity when it comes to it's, albums... It's bar none. It's, it's bar none. Man. The man is... Strategic. He's on his own plane. Oh, own plane. I listened to the whole thing. I, I see why he took five years. I, 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 oh. I, I, I get the five-year wait. I get the five-year yes. wait. I get it now, Kendrick. I get it. I'm not going to say anything about the five-year wait. It was so good. It literally, like, I was reading or, like, sitting listening to an automated book. Like, visually seeing what's happening. In every song, okay. Let me stop. We gotta wait. We gotta say that. There's a. Hey, we gotta we, say we, that. We, for the next episode. We're gonna do an in-depth review it. on that one because that. Oh my goodness. Best that, album that, so that, far. That special, special, bro. Best album so special far, album. Bro. Hey, Kodak. Kodak surprised Kodak me. Kodak delivered. Bro. Oh my god. Kodak. De- when I when I saw him on, I was like, I don't know how this is gonna go, like, but he what? he stepped up. No. He stepped up, bro. <laughs> bro, it was so funny because I didn't look at the track list. I just pressed play. And it was one, one thing he was narrating. He was like, um, rapping. Interlude. And I was yeah, like, Rich Interlude. Is that Kodak? I didn't know Kendrick Lamar like Kodak. That's <laughs> <laughs> Kodak. But no, nah, bro. Yeah, Kodak surprised me. Kodak went up in my book. Yes. Kodak, Kodak, <clears throat> excuse me, Kodak went up in my book. Yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and getting into our last review, because obviously the, the album is out now, but this past Sunday, uh, Kendrick put out the Heart Part 5 and, you know, in his newest song, you know, uh, but before the album, you know, his flow is just as charged as ever and he aims to lay out just a manifesto of radical empathy. And, you know, he goes on to highlight how there's a sustained, fraught, valuable and passionate inquiry into the forces that, you know, tear down and build up Black America. Mm-hmm. Um, but just like, what were some of your thoughts on this me- on this song and just the message he was trying to get across? Because every song that he puts out and, and even the video, like it, it just contains like a deeper element and deeper backstory that, that he's trying to, trying to convey to everybody. The mess, it's, you know, it's, wow, how can I, how can I say this? When you have a message, like a powerful message that is universal, and then you have production behind that, you have lyric and bars behind that. A Marvin Gaye sample too, bro. Like, do you know how hard it's to put? That's what I was saying. That's what I was saying. Oh my And it hits. Like that is hard. Having a universal powerful message in itself is hard. But to have production, your lyrics, your bars, the hook, everything aligns. Like, bro, that is extremely difficult to do. That man, who said it? Um, and I really don't like what's calm. He's he fugazi sometimes. Um, Joe Budden on his podcast. <laughs> Wait, you go back and forth. You say you, you don't like Joe. Then you say you like Joe. Man, you keep going. No, I said I like what he said. He was talking about, okay, yeah, okay, I, I really don't really like Joe because he's sometimes, because you, you have no credentials to say anything about music when you have one hit song, bro. Come on. Um, 
and it was, we we heard it because it was on a movie for me. You got serve, you know, pump, pump, pump it up, like bro, chill out. Um, but he said when you know all those guys nice, but when Kendrick dropped, he the boogeyman. Oh yeah, Kendrick's the Joe's a completely accurate on that. Oh yeah, boogeyman. I mean, it's the boogeyman. He says everybody backs out when when Kendrick comes. Everybody bro. backs out. Oh, I can't wait. And he finally says something about Drake and Kanye. Did you hear that? When he was like, I was slightly confused. Yeah, when, when, when they got back together, I was yeah. slightly confused. And then he was, was like, strong. maybe, maybe I'm not mature as I thought I was, or something like that. I can't remember. Kendrick's the always watching. And I was like, oh man, finally he said something because they was beefing for a long time. He was man, and that makes me think like maybe he's doing like yeah, it's just self reflection. That whole thing. Okay, I'm getting it by myself, but yeah, yeah, that song really set this album up and. Yeah, it was it was definitely a single song. That album oh, yeah. was, a, I mean, that song was a single song. It was meant to, yeah. And then it kind of just catapulted to the album and made everything. We we can't wait to do the review for for next <sighs> Sunday. Yeah, I, I, we we can't wait to do it. Like like we have so much to say. <laughs> bro, these songs are so fire, man. Oh my goodness, man. Bro, and then the 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 shoe tapping. Don't yes. dance around this. Oh my! I went I went crazy, bro. I'm sorry. I went crazy. My goodness, man. That my is goodness. so good, bro. Take your time with your album, and you can do stuff like that. That's more. Always. I remember that more than some of the songs. Sometimes his trend. Okay, never mind. Okay, I'm gonna hit my. <laughs> right, I'm excited. We gotta go to break now. Yeah, we'll go to break. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> now nah, you're good. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back with our catch me if you can't review. Welcome back to the show, and now we're getting into our Catch Me If You Can review. And to start with the overview, Catch Me If You Can is a 2002 biographical crime film directed and produced by Steven Spielberg from a screenplay by Jeff Nathanson and starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hanks, Christopher Walken, Martin Sheen, and Nathalie Abai. The film is based on the autobiography of Frank uh, Abagnale, who allegedly before his 19th birthday birthday, successfully performed cons worth millions of dollars by posing as a Pan-American World Airways pilot, a Georgia doctor, and a Louisiana parish prosecutor, had a budget of $52 million and brought in $352.1 million into the box office and had a 96% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, Christopher Walken and John Williams were nominated for Best Supporting Actor and Best Original Score. Um, but kind of like, what are what were your initial thoughts on this film as it was one that was, you know, just really clever, comical, and suspenseful? You know, I, I don't know what age I, I watched this, but growing up, I didn't know it was autobiography, obviously. I just thought it was just like, this is really dope. How did this young kid is getting away with all this? And... <laughs> They didn't do no background checks whatsoever yeah, back nothing then. Nothing at all. They're like, yeah. So whatever. I <laughs> <You> believe me. <you. laughs> so I see now how everything has changed. Where you got to go through a whole, ex- mm-hmm. you know, extensive thing just to say, oh yeah, you know, this is who I am. But but I thought it was really clever. He was getting away with like highway murder, man. Like he was like goodness doing the checks and stuff. But I thought it was a, a dope film, like. You know what I mean? But I never thought it was an autobiography until I got, you know, older. And I'm like, oh, crap, that was based off somebody. And I actually saw him interview, and I saw him talking about all this stuff that he did, which was really dope. I mean, not dope, obviously, because it was, you know. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? We're not condoning this baby. (laughs) Yeah, we're not condoning on Full Scope Podcast. We're just saying (laughs) he was a clever young kid to get away with that stuff. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And and, and I mean, like, when you look at... Obviously, like like a catalog that Leonardo DiCaprio has had, like he's been in so many like different types of films and, and played so many different type of roles. Like like what stood out to you in all, in this performance from him and just what he was able to put together because he, he he's had just he's been around for so long. Yes. He's one of the most you know noteworthy stars. But th- obviously, this was kind of like a different type of role for him. You can tell how 
good of an actor and what range he has to play this type of role. Because you got to be in, you know, multiple, because you're still a kid, first and foremost. Yeah. So you still got to have that young, youngness. You still have a young core in you, but then you have to act a certain way. And he's, you know what I'm saying? It's just, I don't know. He can translate to different, different um, styles of the so character easily. so easily. And he, obviously you put the work in and then it's just to be able to translate that into this film. I don't think it was, being this character was extremely hard, but I do think it took some 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 extra oomph in his, in his repertoire to be able to convey with, um, you know, Abigail, actually Frank Abigail Jr. was able to do in real life. And I think mm-hmm. you think he's really that guy. Like, you, if you didn't know... You really do. Yeah, yeah like, you really think it's him. <laughs> you didn't think you, you knew he, this was like an actual, you know, movie, but it was just like a documentary or something. You were thinking like, yo, he portrayed this as perfect that anybody, I don't see anybody else playing this role and bringing Nobody. it out this way. So, I mean, at that age too, he was still young playing this role. So it was perfect. And he, in the aviator too, like, bro, like him being yes. able to play that role and being a germaphobe, that re- that dude in real life was a psycho. <laughs> he was a true germaphobe. Like, bro, he didn't, he, was. he will stand in a bathroom for hours until somebody opened that door. Like, you know how you got to get bro. in that mode, bro. So it's just like, I don't know if it was method acting, method acting for him in Avi- Aviator, and not more so this film. But I do think you had to get in that, like I said, his repertoire to be able to portray this this young, clever kid, you know, coming out of a small town. You know what I mean? So it was really dope to see him translate that into the film. Definitely. Um, and now getting into our first topic uh, from One of Four Stars, what would you give it? Um, what what kind of be your, your particular rating for this one overall? I have to give it four stars, man. I think yes. it hit each uh, each pocket. Um, you know, it didn't miss. It didn't miss. Pocket. You know, it didn't miss any pockets, bro. It was it was engaging. He was engaged. He was wondering what was going to happen next. How will he get out this? How did he elude this? I can't wait till we get to the this. Scenes, really bro. was like, the true edge of your. This this really was yes. the true edge of your type of film. It really was yes. the true edge of your. <laughs> and then you you realize he's still a kid at the end, and you yes. see what he sees with his mom. You know, you know, I want to step ahead, but I do think they hit each pocket. Of what mm-hmm. what a, a good film needs to have, yeah, definitely. I I would give it four as well. I mean, this was just a really nuanced film and extremely just resonant in different ways, c- containing just a fascinating story. Um, but now getting into favorite character, um, I, I would go w- w- with Carl uh, Hanratty because this was just kind of a different role for Tom Hanks yeah. because has he really played someone someone this humorless and he was a similar kind of <laughs> caliber of a star in the film to really tra- challenge Frank and, and his most ideal foe. Um, but to you, kind of like overall, who was your favorite, most favorite character? Frank, you know, you know, yeah. Big Daddy Frank, Father Frank, you know, the senior. I thought, yeah, how many guys, how many men in that time go above and beyond for their family and all this stuff, and and then you somebody's not satisfied or whatever the case may be, and you do all this stuff just to. He was a dreamer too, and then to protect his son, like catch him if you can. Good luck. Like he knew his son wasn't doing oh, yeah, the best things out there. Obviously, my son didn't go to college. How is he freaking becoming? <laughs> so, but I think it's that protection as a father. You go through all those different uh, feelings. And I, I love this character because every step of the way, he still believed in him. I'm not going to give him my son. And it's Christopher, it's Christopher Walken. I, I, I hate I can't do his voice. I wish I could do a personation of Christopher Walken's um, voice, but it's... 
that's another actor who's been around for years, years. and has I been able to stand the test of time. Like even with his career, looking back at it, and he, he's kind of the the perfect like father, uh, like father figure in this film, and, yeah. and actually playing the father role. Like, what were kind of your thoughts on just just how he was able to to, to portray this, and also like what he's done in the past? I think it's like his movie, you know. Laundry list of movies he's been in, whether he was a supporting cast, whether it's like a funny movie like Joe Dirt, like him just playing in, in Click, like his older days and his younger yeah. days playing certain movies. Like you can tell the range, but it's, it's the voice. It's the voice that he has that is the same in each character. You'll laugh at it, but I think that's the biggest thing you take from his, his acting ability, the way he can contour his voice and in each character but it sounded exactly the same. And I know that's probably like, what are you talking about? Like he could play one of those soft roles in his voice. It's, it's the tone of his voice. And you, tone is perfect. you, you have to hear it. And it's not going anywhere. Like as an actor, you, you, you go to your, your, your strength. So <clears throat> Denzel Washington, it's the, it's the look, it's the, it's the body language, right? You know what I mean? His hands, my, my, my like it's, it's the mannerism is <laughs> what you think of. Uh, De Niro, De, uh, Robert De Niro, the face. You're talking to me like you know, like you know, it's always the face. What are you doing, Fokker? Like it's the face. So with Christopher Walken, it's always the voice. You remember yeah. his voice. That's his style. That's his strength. He always goes to that. So I think that's why he has so many movie movie credits, bro. The voice he does. He does um, voiceovers too. It's it's that distinguishedness of his voice that brings the life to each character. So um, I said that was a long winded just to say that, Williton. <laughs> nah, nah. <you're- laughs> but no, I really thought like, like, yeah, he's that everyday dad, man. Like you, you go yeah, through the different. Fits it yeah, fits that role perfectly. perfectly, bro. Like no dad's gonna give up their son. Um, and then you just as a, I just see him just like a hardworking guy, just want to make his family bigger. Even when they moved to the smaller apartment, he was just trying. And it wasn't enough. And then, you know, and he died. It was just like a lot of stuff. And then you miss it. Yeah. So I thought he portrayed that, the father role and the depiction of, you know, the lesser man at those times very well. Definitely. Um, and now getting into most memorable scenes, I had first substitute teacher where Frank on his first day of school impersonates yes. substitute teacher. That was a good um, Also secret service agent were called, you know, attracts Frank to the Tropicana Motel, but it's strict when he claims to that be a secret the, service agent. That's the best one. Um, no one else to call where Frank gives Carl a phone on Christmas Eve. Um, do you concur? Frank impersonating doctors yeah. called to the ER with, without um, any preparation. That's and he didn't do anything. Like, like he was just so confused. Like, what do, do you, you do? <laughs> Um, also, Cotton France were, were called tracks Frank to, to Montrechard, uh, uh, France, and convinced him to surrender into his custody. And finally, nobody chasing you. Recall meets Frank at the airport for heart to heart before Frank is about to go AWOL from his job at the FBI. Yep. Um, but overall, to, to you, kind of like what was your overall memorable scene? And, and, and I feel it feels like you already said it with the Secret Service agent one. Every last one of them you mentioned. The it was two more um, when he you know escaped. And then he went to go see his mom and he saw his mom oh, yeah. with his younger, I think it was his younger brother that he had never met. She moved on, whole new life, doesn't care. Right? And him just sitting in the snow with all the police officers behind him. I thought that was incredible scene. Um, and then, what's another one? The one, I mean, obviously when they call each other on Christmas was always... <laughs> Talking on Christmas, and then when and when he came back, 
he was about to leave. He came back into the FBI or whatever, and he started, yeah. you know, diving into it and actually helping. But every last one, the one that he got away, he was talking about he was the Secret Service. Like, oh, hey, what are you doing? Like, can you put your gun away? Like, and like that was one of the best scenes. And then, bro. He, and then he tried to give him his wallet back. He's like, no, I trust you. I trust you. you keep <laughs> <it>. <laughs> that was amazing, bro. That was a good scene, bro. It was a bunch of them. Uh, yeah, that's what it's. It, that's what it hit every pocket. It was funny. It was, yes. it was, it was, uh, uh, you know, suspense. And this was a long movie too. This was like a two hour and 20 minute movie. Right. So, I mean, this was a longer movie, but, but still kept that entry. Yeah. And then you, the, the characters got developed and, in bit, bit mm-hmm. pitches, you, you learn more, uh, about Carl, um, and his family and why he doesn't, you know, see his family on Christmas. And like, we, I thought like in the scene when he was like printing up, he was like, Carl, like he was printing stuff off. <laughs> He was like, and then I thought he was lying about the French police coming and all that stuff. I thought he was lying. Come to find out, he was actually yeah. telling the truth. Maybe but um, I thought that was that was that was funny. I was like, oh, that man lying, bro. Don't trust him. Don't you trust him, Frank? <laughs> Frank, don't you trust him, Frank? <laughs> but no, nah, I thought that was a really dope scene, man. The whole movie's dope. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, and now getting into most of the quotes, I had uh, people only know what you tell them from Frank. Um, also, an, an honest man has nothing to fear, so I'm trying my best uh, not to be afraid from Frank. Uh, you're not gonna have to catch me first. Also, how'd you how'd you do it, Frank? How'd you pass the bar in Louisiana from Carl? And then fi- finally, sure you do. Sometimes it's easier looking the lie. I'm going to let you fight tonight, Frank. Um, to t- to you, kind of like looking back at it, what were some of the memorable quotes in-, in-, in here for you, and just some of the standouts? It was a bunch of them, bro. And I want to go to uh, you know Frank Senior, and that's when he was. I think he was in a diner with his son when in you know Frank Junior came in. He was talking about God, Dad, I got you a new car out there. And he was like, do you know what would happen if the IRS found out I was driving around a new coupe? I took the train here, Frank. I'm taking the train home. Two things that I got from that. One, he's a prideful man. And two, I love you, son, but you're not going to get me. You already got me into your stuff, but I'm not going to condone what you're doing. I love you, but I'm not going to yeah. condone what you're doing. You're not going to bring me fully into it. I can't do it. But I do think he was a prideful man. He didn't, And then... Even when um, he was talking about where is your mother, he was like, I don't know. She said something about getting a look for a job. So what she's going to be, a shoe salesman at the centipede farm? Like, it was just like back in those times, like, oh, she's going she gonna to try to find a job. Well, she, she ain't going to get no money or whatever. It's just a prideful man. Yeah, very prideful. Your, your son tried to do something for you, blah, blah, blah. I know it's bad, but, you know, if I was, I would have took it. I'm not going to lie to you, Wellington. I would have oh, took sure. it. For sure. I'm right there with you. <laughs> I ain't about to ride no train home, brother. Nah. But no, that was, you know, that was a quote um, that really stood out and it, it gave you an uh, in-depth of what <clears throat> the character and how, what father or type of man he was. And then Tom Hanks had some, well, Carl um, Henrad, he had a, a couple of them. What, he was a... Uh... Oh, okay. He's like, how do you do it? How did you do it, Frank? How did you cheat on the bar exam in Louisiana? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he did not cheat, he just studied for it. And he didn't believe him. Hey, bro, like... At all. He, he was convinced, like, nah, you didn't do it. Because, <laughs> and that gives you insight of what, like, he was never a dumb kid. He was, <laughs> he was always, you know, a smart kid. He just never could fly straight. And I think, you know, Carl had a different uh, appreciation of... And I think that's what led to him, like, come work for the FBI. We need you. We need you to, you know, debunk coming to stuff. 
But I think it gave her a, a different appreciation for Frank and as an individual, how he's so young to be able to do these things. And you, you, what would what his life would have been like if he would have just flew straight? No pun intended. If he just flown straight. So yeah, I thought that was a good one. Definitely. Um, and now getting into to what did you like the most about the storyline? Um, you know, for me, like just the complex and personal elements of, of the father son relationship, and you know, which we you know see Frank as a teenager at heart, still wanting to put his family back together, was really a key storyline of the film. Um, uh, but to you overall, like like what element of the storyline did you kind of like the most? That the, the father element <clears throat> that he was chasing, or just yeah. like he never wanted to be in the same situation as his dad, or he wanted to make some out of himself so he can help his dad, but inadvertently, you know, worsen the situation. And then being chased for so long and not being around family so long, he started had seeing a father figure in Carl Hanratty, which was ironic. And then yeah, ironic, ironic because Carl hasn't seen his daughter. He doesn't see his family. So they became family. It was so clear that Carl, yeah. Carl eventually became the father figure. Yes. Like, like he eventually became that at the end. Yes. Because that's why they always talked on Christmas. That's why when he saw Carl, he wasn't afraid. He was like, Carl! Buddy! Yeah. Like... Like, like he knew him all his life. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, he know he's chasing. He's about to arrest you, dummy. Like, yeah. call. Oh my gosh! But I think that element in there, and then just the, I mean, just what this kid accomplished, bro. Like, he just in different state, and but he, he always wanted that lifestyle. Y'all, what well, he found the girl always wanted to marry. Like, it was just like he wanted all the the natural things that came in life. But he got it in such an absurd way and an untruthful way. So it's just like him just, oh, no, it was just so many elements that goes into it. Like, you can tell he was still young. Like, you can tell he was still, he wasn't as mature, but he was able to portray maturity. So Mm -hmm. the storyline was crazy. There was a bunch of different elements in the storyline that intrigued you and kept you um, wanting to see what's going to happen next to him or see how he can get away next. But yeah, definitely. And, 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 and I mean, before we get to our last topic, obviously, like, like with the director, it, it being Steven Spielberg, who's had so many kind of legendary films, uh, with, with films like Jaws, Jurassic Park, Saving Private Ryan, like looking at this movie and like where it, 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 it maybe like how it stand out, like stands out to you in some of like his more legendary films or even like some of like the, the top ones in his catalog. Uh, where does this one kind of like rank? Like, is it kind of like high up there or maybe yes. in the middle tier of like the movies put out? You, from Tom Hayes, correct? Yeah. Yeah, this is up there. Even if he, mm. he, he was a supporting cast guy, obviously. He was a supporting actor. But I think this film did so well, first of all, in the box office. And sure. two, I think this really was a film that can, could stood the test of time, that it does continue to get play. I watched it the other day. I'm rhyming. I don't want to rhyme. <laughs> I literally watched the other day. And when you said something about the concur, that's the first thing I was like, that's what I called it. I caught it at that scene where he was portraying yeah. the uh, the doctor or whatever. And I caught it on TV at that scene. But I think this is definitely one of his top five films, to be honest with you. And mm. I think his top five films, if we were, were going there, you know, obviously. Oh, yeah, let's go. <laughs> um, obviously, um, Forrest Gump. Uh, 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 what's the movie? Um, uh, Castaway. Castaways. Uh, boom. what's the film? He was Save a Private Rhyming, which you just said three. Mm-hmm. Catch Me If You Can, and uh, Toy Story. Toy Story. Yeah, 
that, solidified. Yeah, solidified. solidified. <laughs> That's one of the highest grossing uh, ever. animation films ever. ever bro. He's been, and it's, I didn't He's know. He's been in everything. He's been in everything, literally everything, man. We've been watching his sons all the time, did not know his son. I did not know his son played in um, King Kong with uh, Jack Black. I didn't know he was the oh. guy with the glasses. That's his son. He also played in uh, New Jumanji. He's the guy they would go get, and he was the he was the older guy. We named him after Bethany. That's his son. That's one of his sons. Didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. He doesn't even. He got the facial structure and the head structure, but he don't like literally look like look, look like him. But he's been playing in a bunch of movies. Like he's a good actor too. So, um, yeah, his yeah, I think this is definitely top five. Definitely, his top sure. five. For him. Definitely. And now getting into our last topic 10 years from now, like, do you still think this will be watchable intriguing? It definitely has kind of like passed that bar already. Uh, came out in 2002. So, yeah. so it, it really has been able to age so well. Yeah. Um, and obviously the performances, when you have a cast like from Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks and Christopher Walken, mm-hmm. you definitely are going to have people that bolster it. And obviously, like like the the personal elements of it and the family elements of it, especially with the father and son, was just really poignant in the movie. Um, but to you, like, what do you think will continue just continue to really just make this a watchable and intriguing movie? The fact that this is a real story, yeah, that a kid did all of this—that's crazy. At that age, I knew I couldn't. That's you. Know, <laughs> that's a lot <laughs> that's of work. What I'm that's a lot of work. Me at that age? Nah. Nah, man. I would have gave up. I would have went. I would have stayed the path, man. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. But shoot, bro. I think it's just because of that. And then you have those three great actors in Christopher Walken, Tom Hanks, and Leo, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, what a what a what a cast that is, man, in itself. So uh, yeah. And then it's based off of autobiography of the real guy. So and it was shot well. And then it's a still Spielberg, still Steven Spielberg. Movie. Steven Spielberg. I mean, like, like also in terms of Steven Spielberg catalog, like in terms of the movies he's done in the past, like, do you feel as though this is one that that's high up in his catalog? Because he's he's done films like E.T., Jaws, Saving Private Ryan. He, he's really done a lot of films. And this is another one that I feel as though is, it, it, I don't know where you would rank it high up in his catalog, but it, it's definitely one of his most impressive ones. He has a, like you said, he has a lot of films. And it's, Ooh, is this top five already? I know it's top ten because you know he does the Indiana Jones ones too. Yes. So that's hard. He did Shinner's List. That's hard because his is just so expansive. Yeah, that's so extremely hard. And he has you know credits as well in other films that he's helped on that could mm-hmm. definitely you know add to his you know his list. So I cannot tell you if this is top five. Because, yeah, yeah, he had too many movies, bro. He got too yes. many. Because Indiana Jones itself will probably, two of those will probably be in his top five. It'll already take up the list. It'll already fill up the list. <laughs> and, excuse me. And he got E.T. I mean, that's definitely in his top five. Like, you know, Saving Pride Ryan. Back to the future. Yeah, back to the, yeah, no, this is probably not on, top man. 10, nah, bro. This is not going to fit. It's not going to fit. It's probably not in the top 10, bro. Yeah. He got too many movies. I forgot all about Back to the Future. <laughs> oh my gosh but nah yeah he's he's been in it for a long long time and I mean Save Pride Rhyme is probably one of my one of my favorites of his like it's long but it's such a good oh, yeah. movie have we we did do a review of Save Pride Rhyme we never reviewed that we never, we never reviewed that <laughs> <laughs> excuse me we got, we got. <clears throat> 
Well, that wraps it up for tonight. I'm your host, Winter Burns. Let my counterpart save on Morse. This has been Full Scope. See you later.